Welcome to the Cybersecurity and Cloud Podcast, where we hear the stories of information security professionals. This podcast explores different angles, out-of-the-box ideas, and the human element of cybersecurity. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts and supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP so we can continue to bring on amazing guests. You can watch videos of the interviews at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome back. This is the second part of the interview with Lisa Ford. If you haven't listened to the first part, I highly suggest you go and listen to the first part. We go through explain social engineering and in this second part we go on explaining few of the adventure Lisa have found herself in and specifically how a law firm got in trouble for a very friendly chap that got in contact with them. I hope you enjoy. This is Lisa Forte, second part on the show. Can you actually share a stories around uh, one of your stories that you can share? about one social engineer that came towards you and one social engineering um, particularly effective or particularly hilarious that you did? Yeah, so what, what, one of the cases I worked on um, that I think kind of brings in quite a lot of these things that we've talked about, um, it was a law firm based here in Bristol. And um, basically what happened was one of the lawyers got sent a Facebook message and this Facebook message said something along the lines of, um, hi, Rob, I'm really amazed with your career. I've been following it. I've been following your blog writing pieces that you've done. Um, You're a really great lawyer. I'm a law student and um, I'd really appreciate it if you could just take a look at my CV um, and tell me what you think I could do with more experience in. So flattered, as you would be, this lawyer opens the attachment in this Facebook message and he reads through the CV and he writes and whatever, writes back. But what he doesn't realize is that this CV that was sent dropped a particular piece of malware onto the law firm system that gave basically the attackers sight of everything that was going on. And most critically, they could see what was going on with the bank account. So they could see when when the people logged into the bank account, they could see the balance, they could see the direct debits, they could see the fact that two clients had just paid in a load of mortgage money uh, into the account to buy a house. And what happened next was they called the law firm up and they said to the receptionist, oh, hi, you know, we're from whatever bank, Barclays, for example. Um, and uh, what, what has happened is none of your direct debits can come out of your account because the account hasn't been validated. So what we need you to do is um, add us as a payee onto the account. You need to then transfer one pound out of the account to our account and we'll transfer it back and then everything will be set up. So the receptionist was a little bit suspicious and she says, well, how do I know your Barclays? Prove to me that you're Barclays. And they said, okay, that's fine. Well, we can see that the account has got a balance of of this much. We can see that there's a payment at the end of the month to Virgin Media for 50 pounds. We can see that the last payment was made on this date. And they could cite all of this information because they could see it all. 
So the reception is thinking, okay, well, they must be my bank. 100% they must be my bank. So she says, okay, I'll add, it, I'll add that all. I'll send it all across to you. So that's what she does. And uh, she goes off to lunch. And on Monday morning, uh, after the weekend, she comes back in and uh, one of the partners says, look, there's, there's been a bit of an issue. Apparently, the money has all gone for our account. Can you just go and check it? And they look and basically um, 300,000 pounds had been taken from the bank account. So they call their actual bank um, and the bank says, well, you know, we're not going to reimburse you because, you know, technically um, you added the attackers, you know, onto the account. You know, you transferred them some money and th that was how they managed to, uh, to transfer more. Um, and they didn't have insurance. So in order to pay this money back to their clients who were hoping to buy houses, the partners of this law firm had to actually remortgage their own houses to raise the money to pay back their clients. Um, and this all came and originated from a Facebook message. So stop replying to Facebook. Call back <laughs> your bank whenever you, you're getting calls. And with insurance. If yeah, you can um, summarize of three, three elements that you will give away from these stories. Yeah, I would say, you know, unsolicited Facebook messages, treat with as much caution as you would an email. Um, if someone calls up, um, pretending to be your bank, uh, even if they've got the right information, don't do anything. Go and find the number and call them back again to clarify. Um, and, you know, I think some awareness training for the staff in that law firm to realize that these sorts of things are attacks that happen. Um, and actually, you've got to be cautious of it. Um, because to be honest, you know, all of these things were avoidable. And I think that was the most frustrating thing for the partners of this law firm, that it wasn't this super, super sophisticated attack. Um, it was all avoidable. And I think that was very frustrating for them. So Chenny actually raised a very good point uh, that if, if you're getting scammed, can you actually recover your money through action fraud and how effective is action fraud? So action fraud is the mechanism by which we report fraud and cybercrime in the United Kingdom. Um, they won't necessarily recover your money, um, but the uh, the banking system, it's a bit difficult because uh, what we're seeing quite a lot of is banks saying, well, look, you know, if you actually did something, if you actually transferred money or you added someone onto your account, um, we're not going to reimburse you. And I think actually that's probably the right and fair decision by the banks because it's not their security issues that uh, that led to you being attacked. Um, the other factor that comes in is insurance. And some people um, are very, uh, you know, in favor of cyber insurance, others less so. Um, the cautionary tale I usually have with cyber insurance is that most often it excludes social engineering. So if one member of your staff has been socially engineered, the chances of you recovering from your cyber insurance policy plummet. Um, so it is very, very, it is very, very difficult. Um, you just got to hope your bank uh, cover it, I think it's probably your, your sort of main hope. 
So shall we all stop together in, in doing cyber insurance or shall we all look in the fine print and see what's covered and what's not? Definitely the fine print. I mean, I would be very cautious. Um, I've seen some terrible policies that have said that unless you can prove that this was a zero-day attack on you um, and didn't involve social engineering, we won't cover you. Um, anybody, <laughs> yeah, which basically means there is no attack they will cover for the most part because attackers aren't going to waste a zero-day attack on a small law firm. Um, yeah. So I think the fine print is really key and, and making sure that you, you don't get to that point, you know, as much as you can do, you're making sure you get, you know, you're not ever getting to a point where that really becomes a, a concern. Hey, Francesco here. A very quick message from our sponsor and then we return back. This podcast is brought to you by the generosity of NSC42 Limited, your cybersecurity partner. Cybersecurity is complex and different for every organization, and you need the best tailored service to make sure your customer's data is safe and sound so you can focus on what's important, focusing on your clients and bringing the best and safest experience. NSC42 Limited can help you during your cloud transformation, cybersecurity assessment for your compliance checklist on premise and on the cloud. Want to know more? Visit www.nsc42.co.uk to get your free quote. So have you ever been involved in an active social engineering uh, attack? So when either where you were on the police or your current, uh, uh, your current firm, have you ever been involved in, in an organization called it's like, we are under attack, we are somebody's social engineering, uh, somebody has thrown a bomb or, for example, uh, a ransomware and is, and is uh, blackmailing us to give them the money. How do we react? Have you ever coached somebody in reacting or negotiating? Um, so we did have one where it was an insider threat more than it was um, sort of outside social engineering. Um, and this person just hadn't showed up for work. There was um, sort of evidence that certain screenshots of data had found it, their way onto the dark web. Um, and everything just started being pieced together. So obviously, naturally, they panicked and, and wanted some guidance as to, you know, what on earth do we do here? So, um, yeah, in, in the inside of threat uh, area, we, we, uh, we do see that quite a bit. So that's interesting. So let's let's open the floor for questions. Does anybody has any question directly for Lisa? You can either write in the chat or or shout it out in by voice. How do you go about physical pen testing, uh, Chani asks? Um, in terms of how how does the process work, or in terms of um, techniques used? I think it's technique you use. Um, it depends on the company really um, and depends also on kind of how um, how many offices they have and how big the company is um, but generally speaking um, you know you're likely to be a contractor or somebody who has access into the building or could have access into the building um, and I tend to find little things like having um, having a clipboard with a checklist of things um, hmm. 
where you have to be like, okay, yep, yep, yep. Okay, I need to go into this room to do this piece. And because you have this clipboard, people are like, wow, you know, must be proper and official now because there's piece paper involved. Yeah. <laughs> so I think, um, you know, strategic use of props would be a would be a, a definite uh, one. Being on the phone is another one because you can't actually be questioned if you're in the middle of a phone call they're not going to question you so you can tend to to allow your way into different places and act important yeah exactly so what else anybody anything from anyone else or i have a list of questions myself one two three okay so how many times do you work with um with the finance department versus other departments. So do you do do you do testing or training with the actual people involved in, in those scams or potentially involved in those scams? Yeah, we do. Um, we actually have the only uh, GCHQ certified social engineering course, which we're very proud of. Um, and often a lot of our clients will actually um, ask us to come in and train their high-risk users. So these are people like, finance, HR, um, people who have access to maybe live client data, um, stuff like that. So um, we'll come in and do like a more intensive training with their high risk users. Um, and I think sometimes actually, even just the company telling certain groups of people that you are a high risk user, um, I think it makes them feel really special. So they, they sort of end up thinking, oh, I'm a high-risk user. I need to take this seriously. So I think there is some psychology in there as well that, uh, that you can use to, uh, to really make certain groups of people take it seriously. Are you social engineering people and taking things seriously? <laughs> Maybe, but I don't take a lot of things seriously, so I'm not sure if this really works. <laughs> That's great. We need to have fun. We only have one life anyway. Exactly. So Chani was asking if you have any more tips about spear phishing, either receiving or, or, or doing. I hope you're not planning for it. Spear phishing yeah. <laughs> protection, actually. No, she corrected. She's not planning any spear phishing. Yeah, a new business venture for her, maybe. Um, so in terms of tips for spear phishing, I think um, the first and most important thing to remember is that for spear phishing to work, because spear phishing is targeted at you as an individual, they need information on you. So locking down your social media, not accepting people uh, on, on platforms that you post any personal information who you're not 100% sure you know who they are. So for example, you know, my LinkedIn and my Twitter, they are used for my professional um, capacity. I don't post things about my personal life on there. Um, but then my Facebook and my Instagram um, are locked down. I only have people on there, a handful of people who are my family and my friends, um, and I share more personal content. So um, I think this is something we have to learn to do to segment those two kind of things. Because, you know, if, if you want to post everything about your life, that's fine. But you have to be aware that you have to be more paranoid about every single email you receive because, um, you know, a lot of things, a lot of information is out there. I mean, one of the, the classic ones is Amazon wish lists. By default, they're public and searchable. So in the search box of Amazon, you can type someone's name, you can pull up their wish list. Um, unless you've gone into your own wish list and made it private, it is public. 
So if you imagine that you wanted to attack me and you found my wish list and you found that there was a specific book that I put on there, you could email me pretending to be Amazon saying, oh, we've seen this, this, uh, this book on your wish list and there's 50% off today. Click on this link. And I'm way more likely to click that link because I think, oh, well, you know, that is on my wish list and only Amazon should know that. But it's public information. So I think it's really, really important that the biggest defense to spear phishing is go and find out what's online about you. And if you think it's too revealing, make it private or take it off um, because that's where they need to get information from in order to, to email you in the first place. So considering we have all this, uh, and I think, and I've seen this ramping up specifically in the last year uh, with those campaigns, why don't we have, specifically on the URL stuff, why don't we have things embedded in browser and social engineering in, in those kind of messages, dissect the message? I mean, uh, that, that, that looks at the link and saying, hold on a sec, this might not be valid. And, and I think browser are doing something something around HTTPS. That should be actually the least of the worries. Yeah, I mean, I think to some, to, you know, to some extent that there is that sort of technology out there. And I think, you know, big companies, um, you know, this sort of thing is less is less likely in that respect. But what you've got to remember is that only works when there's a link. But if I email you and I ask you for your login credentials and I haven't included a link, then those defenses aren't going to pick that up. So I think, you know, the paramount first defense is not allowing attackers to get that information on you in the first place. But then we have all, I mean, you, you touch point on, on Twitter, on social accounts, on, so, on, on, on LinkedIn. As, as effectively business leader, we talked about being taught leader and the, the, the common trend right now, and I don't know if that's a, a social engineering campaign, is actually to share personal story, personal information, make it personal to communicate with others. So how do we balance sharing versus protecting, especially for us that we are in the in the information security industry? I think that's a personal risk assessment for you, whether you think it's more important to post detailed personal information or whether you feel it's more important to be secure. Uh, and not have to be as uh, as concerned that you're going to be targeted. I think if you're in info, information security, um, you know, we've all got to be aware that we've probably got a target painted well and truly on our backs. Um, we are, you know, high value targets. We are targets that at the very least attackers might want to humiliate. Um, and so I think we need to just be a little bit more cautious and lead by example. But with the same breath, you know, I do also understand that it's difficult when you have to present this sort of personal uh, image out to the public. So I think it's just about maybe heavily vetting what you write and think, you know, what really personal information is in here? Or does it just sort of have the tone of personal information, but actually nothing that juicy is contained in it? So we have probably a few minutes down, uh, down to the closing. and. Let me let me ask you to share probably the best message and the best stories that you had. I, I can share mine where I was coming as camera and he and I said, well, I usually catch bad guys that do this kind of thing. And I, I think your your modus operandi 
can be categorized as a, as a scammer and the response they receive, oh, you do this kind of thing. Can you give me all the credit card of people that you scam? <laughs> <laughs> and I will very proud moments. Like, I tend to catch this kind of people. You asking this kind of thing is probably a criminal offense. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh, that's the best story I think I've ever heard. I don't have a good story like that at all. That's amazing. That is the best story I think I've ever heard ever. Well, it, it must have been naive. <laughs> it must have been a new start. Yeah, that's that's quite crazy. I like that story. I'm going to uh, I'm going to tell people that you said that. <laughs> but you have one, one yourself, your best favorite one. Not in the same way as that, but I did have a funny story the other day, actually, going into a shop where, um, and, and you've probably all been in this situation where, where somebody wants your personal data, a company, not a scammer, a company wants your personal data. Uh, and we all know with the GDPR, you know, there's now quite strict rules on, on, you know, how that has to be gathered and the consent that has to be given and so on and so forth. So I go into this shop. And uh, I'm buying a, a craft knife to to do some sort of arts and crafts with. Uh, and I put it down to, to pay for it. And the, the store assistant said to me, oh, well, because you're buying a knife, there's new rules in the UK now where um, you need to provide us with your name, address, phone number, um, and, uh, and a Twitter handle or something. And I thought... Do I have to provide you with all of this information to buy a craft knife? This seems a bit odd. So I said, oh, I don't know what regulation you're referring to. I'll just quickly Google it and see. And she was like, well, it's not just for knives. It's for all products now. I was thinking, that's a bit weird. So I said to her, well, you know, I'm not sure that's massively compliant with, you know, the data privacy rules and, and the ICO and, and things like that. I don't think you're allowed to collect data like this, actually. Uh, you know, I don't think the ICO would find this very funny to, to find out about it. And she turned to me and she said to me, um, I don't need you getting aggressive and threatening with this this ICO, whoever they are. And I just made it just made me laugh because it was just it was just so funny. But the sheet of paper, people were writing their name, address, telephone number, Twitter handle, all this stuff on this sheet of paper. Um, and I think it just goes to show that generally speaking in society, we really don't understand how valuable data is. Yeah, I agree. And considering we are giving, so actually having having this conversation with millennials and I specifically have a very great story around that. So I recently posted uh, a write-up on the, on the Face app and I have absolutely nothing against app, but that app actually stole data uh, purposely or stored all the information and, and in the term of reference, you, you could do whatever you want with that information as long as uh, it's handed over to them. And I started telling people this kind of thing and, and the answer that I received, I don't care, my face, my data, they can have whatever they want. And they were generally business owner or you know social media influencer. And I made them two or three cases and I said, ah, oh, I don't care if they clone my profile. They, they don't get this stuff, specifically on the new generation. I mean, uh, I'm getting old, maybe I'm, I'm getting old and ranty, <laughs> but I don't, I don't think there is a perception maybe because of the amount of data we give out. What do you think, Lisa? No, I a hundred percent agree. And I think the other thing people say to me a lot is, well, you know, I've got nothing to hide. And I said, well, you know, I've got nothing to hide, but just because I've got nothing to hide doesn't mean I want everybody to know everything. 
um, you know, I don't want you to know why I went to the doctors or I don't want you to know what I'm having for dinner necessarily. That doesn't mean I've got something to hide. Um, I just feel a bit like we've got to a point where, you know, people maybe don't value privacy like they used to or, you know, don't really view that all this personal data is is your privacy. And, uh, you know, once it's out there, you've lost control of it. You can't get it back. You know, it's gone. And uh, and I don't really understand how we got to this point as a society. I think we, the society is social engineering us to, to get <laughs> the data. Yes, exactly. Okay. So, on the closing point, can you give uh, can you give our audience the top your top three suggestion on on protecting yourself from the social engineering and your top three things that you're seeing a social engineering attack? Go. Okay, top three things would have to be uh, locking down all the information possible uh, within the realms of your job. Uh, so people can't get intelligence on you as an individual. Definitely top top tip. Second one, go and do some training on social engineering. Go and learn more about it. Read these books. Um, start to be aware of how it works and the psychology behind it because you'll identify things about yourself that you think, wow, okay, I'm super vulnerable here. Um, you know, I, I need to I need to know this. And the final thing is kind of like a self-reflective thing that I tell people. Um, and that's what are you hungry for in life? What is it you really, really want? Because if you can identify that, that's what the attackers are looking to identify, too. Let's say you want to be a professional speaker. If the attackers can identify that through your social media posts, um, then They've got a brilliant way of manipulating you straight away by saying, oh, look, look at this speaking gig we've got you. So I think thinking about, okay, what am I hungry for? That's maybe your area of weakness that you need to be a little bit more paranoid about if someone approaches you. So don't be greed or recognize what you greed about. Exactly. Be humble. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Lisa, has been an absolute pleasure having you on board. And I really hope to see you at one, one of your speaking events or invite you again back to other, other, other more stories. Maybe it was a shared session again with Stuga and yourself and we can do the, the most challenging social engineering attacks or stories. Yeah, I think that would be brilliant, definitely. I'm, I'm always up for that. It was great fun. Thank you for having me. Thank you. And just as a reminder for everybody, join our community, post the question. And we have an event coming up on the 31st with Cloud Security Alliance, IC Square, and ISA. Uh, Stu is probably going to speak up that. Uh, Lisa and everybody else are most welcome to, to come. We still have some tickets available. It's the first time actually ever that I managed to social engineer all the couple of organizations to come under the same roof. And we have also as a special guest, uh, the guys from OWASP. So big awesome. and big panels, come and, and social engineer us into answering your question. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you, everybody. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. This was the second part with Lisa Forte. If you want to listen to more, go back to the first part, dig into more what social engineering is, and let us know if you want to see her back, because we do definitely want to have her back. I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in and listening in. This is your host, Francesco. Thank you and goodbye. Stay safe and don't get social engineered. Or if you do, you might know one trick or two to get out of it. Goodbye. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. 
If you did, consider leaving us a review or sponsoring us on Patreon. It helps us bring on amazing guests and keep the podcast alive and free. Consider supporting us at www.patreon.com forward slash CSCP and watch other episodes at www.cybercloudpodcast.com. Thank you.